Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Hello, and thank you for standing by, and welcome to Kinross Gold's Corporation First Quarter Results Conference Call and Webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Please be advised that today's call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to your speaker today, Tom Elliott, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. With us today, we have Paul Rollison, President and CEO and the Kinnaros Senior Leadership Team, Andrea Freeborough, Paul Tamori, and Jeff Gould. Before we begin, I'd like to bring to your attention the fact that we will be making forward-looking statements during this presentation for a complete discussion of the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions, which may lead to actual results and performance being different from estimates contained in our forward-looking information. Please refer to page two of this presentation, a news release dated May 11, 2021, the MDNA for the period of March 31st, 2021, and our most recently filed AIS, all of which are available on our website. I'm now turn the call over to you. Thanks, Tom, and thank you all for joining us today. <clears throat> While the global environment remains challenging, we are pleased to report that our business continues to perform well against our expectations. I'll elaborate on this momentarily, but first I want to provide a quick update on how we are managing through the impacts of the pandemic. The safety and well-being of our people is our top priority, and we are maintaining many of our pandemic-related protocols in order to protect our employees and communities. As a result of this work and the continued support from our local governments, all of our mines remain operational and our development projects remain on schedule. I'm also pleased to report that we are cautiously optimistic and see some signs of a return to normal starting to take form. Before turning the call over to Andrea for a financial review, Paul for an operating review, and Jeff for an update on Mauritanian government relations, I will comment briefly on Q1 performance, our outlook, and uh, our, com our commitment to continued leadership in ESG. Overall, we are pleased with our start to the year. During the first quarter, our three largest mines, Paracatu, Kupol, and Tassiest, once again represented approximately 60% of our production and delivered the lowest costs in the portfolio. As always, there were some puts and takes throughout the portfolio but consolidated production is tracking well against our plans. As indicated previously, we expect production to increase throughout the year, with the fourth quarter being the strongest. 
Adjusting for gold prices, which were above the $1,500 per ounce we used for internal budgeting, our financial performance in the first quarter was also in line with our plans. As expected, <clears throat> we generated approximately $76 million of free cash flow in the first qu quarter, which is lower than recent quarters, due primarily to anticipated higher tax payments in Brazil, which relates to higher gold prices received in 2020. Like production, we also expect free cash flow to strengthen each quarter with Q4 being our strongest, which is typical of our business. Our balance sheet remains strong, and we've finished the first quarter with just over $1 billion of cash and net debt of approximately $900 million. Looking forward, we remain on track to meet our full-year guidance for production, costs, and capex, and are, and are also well-positioned to achieve our three-year production guidance and long-term production goals. At Round Mountain, mining activities in Q1 were impacted by precautionary measures taken after movements in the north wall of the pit were detected by the site's comprehensive monitoring system. The site deferred mining in the area, which delayed access to Phase W ore, and affected the mine's performance during the quarter. Paul will elaborate on the, on the issue and potential remedies later, but as I indicated, we do not expect this to impact our 2021 production and cost of sales guidance, our longer-term production profile, or Round Mountain's total life of mine production. Finally, in line with our commitment to strong environmental stewardship, <clears throat> we took an important step this quarter by committing to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Kinross currently ranks as one of the lowest greenhouse gas emitters in our sector. Notwithstanding our strong ranking, we are also identifying specific greenhouse gas, gas emission targets for 2030. I'll now turn the call over to Andrea for a more detailed review of our financial results. Thanks, Paul. I'll begin with financial highlights from the quarter, give an overview of our balance sheet, and provide some commentary on our outlook. Production during the quarter was approximately 559,000 ounces. Sales of 548,000 ounces were 11,000 ounces less than production, due to timing of shipments, particularly in West Africa and to a lesser extent at Bald Mountain in Nevada. As a reminder, quarterly variances such as this are not unusual and tend to smooth out over time. Production costs per ounce were $756 in Q1, which was up from the prior quarter, mainly due to lower production and roughly in line with Q1 of last year. Attributable operating margins were robust again in Q1 at 58%, driven by strong gold prices and cost discipline. All-in sustaining costs per ounce of $975 were down compared to last quarter and Q1 of last year, primarily due to lower sustaining capex in the first quarter. Our adjusted net earnings of $193 million were up approximately 50% from the same quarter last year largely due to stronger gold prices. 
our adjusted operating cash flow of $400 million was down slightly from Q1 of last year, mainly due to higher current tax expense in the quarter, partly offset by increased operating earnings. First quarter free cash flow of $76 million is reported on an unadjusted basis and includes net working capital outflows, including taxes paid, of approximately $120 million. Cash taxes during the quarter included a payment of approximately $90 million in Brazil related to 2020. As Paul mentioned, Q1 is expected to be our lowest free cash flow quarter of the year, depending on gold prices. Moving to our balance sheet, our cash position remains strong, and we finished the quarter with over $1 billion of cash and cash equivalent. Our cash balance was down slightly from the end of 2020, as our positive free cash flow was offset by the final payment of $142 million on Chilbatkin, as well as regular interest and dividend payments. Our net debt at the end of the quarter was approximately $900 million, and our trailing 12-month net debt to EBITDA ratio stood at 0.4 times. Subsequent to quarter end, we announced that on June 1st, we will be redeemed $500 million of senior notes. These notes have a maturity of September 1st. However, we elected to repay a few months early as we're able to do so without incurring any penalties while also saving on additional interest costs. After repaying the notes, we will have $1.25 billion of senior notes remaining and will assess any future repayment as we approach the next maturity date in March 2024. Our cash position is strong, our debt levels and leverage metrics are very manageable, and our free cash flow outlook remains robust. Even if gold prices were to decline from current levels, we expect to be able to fund our projects internally. I'll now turn the call over to Paul Tamori. Thanks very much, Andrea. I'll provide a brief update on how we're managing COVID across the portfolio, followed by updates on operations and projects. As Paul mentioned earlier, we're encouraged to see some positive signs with respect to COVID. Nevertheless, we're maintaining our precautions. Vaccines have been rolling out across our operating regions, and we, sign, we see signs of potentially returning to a more normal operating environment. Our ability to manage well through COVID thus far has been made possible by the tireless efforts of our employees, our operating communities, and very strong support from our host governments. Moving to a more detailed review of our portfolio of operations and projects, the year began on plan with a lower production quarter. As Paul indicated, our three biggest mines, Perpetutasius and Kubel, continued their strong performance. These assets once again accounted for approximately 60% of production and had the strongest margins of the portfolio. Perica II delivered record quarterly throughput, although production was down somewhat compared with recent quarters due to lower mill grades. We expect production of Perica II to be higher in the coming quarters. In Russia, production was similar to the first quarter of 2020, and unit costs were down slightly due to lower mining costs as mining activities at Des Moines were completed last year and we are processing some stockpiled ore. Favorable foreign exchange rates in Russia also contributed to lower costs. At Udinsk, the PFS is advancing on plan and is expected to be complete in the fourth quarter with first production still targeted for 2025. This year's exploration activities on a larger Chilbukan license have commenced with drilling focused on new targets showing soil and geophysics anomalies near the Udinsk resource pit and we have received permits to commence drilling on some of these prospective areas. Moving to Africa, Atazius, COVID restrictions continue to ease and shift schedules are normalizing. 
The site achieved record quarterly throughput rates. However, production in the first quarter was lower than previous quarters as a result of a planned move to lower grades for more stockpiled material as we focus our mining activities on stripping the next phase of West Branch. Tazius is performing as expected, and the project remains on schedule and on budget to reach throughput capacity of 21,000 tons per day by the end of the year and 24,000 tons per day by mid-2023. We've also begun an evaluation for a potential renewable energy source at Tazius. At Chirano, production was higher relative to Q4 and roughly in line with one year ago. Costs were somewhat elevated in the quarter due to higher operating waste mined, higher maintenance, milling, and power costs. Turning to our U.S. operations, at Fort Knox in Alaska, Q1 production was down slightly from previous quarters with lower mill throughput largely due to challenging winter weather. However, results compare favorably with Q1 of last year. During the quarter, we also completed our FS for the Gill satellite pits. The project was subsequently approved. We are on track for production later this year. Highlights from this FS are included in the appendix to this presentation. Progress continued at our Mancho project, which was recently renamed from Peak in close consultation with the local village of Teton. The scoping study for Mancho is advancing as planned and is expected to be completed in the second quarter. Moving to Round Mountain, as Paul mentioned, we encountered a setback in the quarter, which we're currently working through. During the quarter, our team uncovered some early instability in the pit wall, which prompted us to make adjustments to the mine plan. With safety as our top priority, we temporarily pause mining in this area of the pit, while other areas of mining and processing continue uninterrupted. We are currently mitigating this potential issue by relocating waste from the top of the north wall and accelerating dewatering in the area to enhance stability while continuing to monitor the situation. As a result of the disruption to mining activities in this area, access to some of the higher grades within phase W are expected to be deferred by a couple years, although we don't expect any impact to total life of mine production. Furthermore, the potential for changes to the geotechnical parameters in the north wall, in addition to the potential phase S pushback, is providing us with the opportunity to perform a holistic mine plan reoptimization, as we've done with great success at several of our other assets. Following our reoptimization, we don't expect a significant impact to Ram Mountain's MPV, and the results of this work are expected in the second quarter of 2022. Bald Mountain had a good quarter with production up over 20% year over year and cost and capital declining again. Shifting to our projects in Chile, we continue to make good progress at both Lobo and La Coipa. Starting with La Coipa, pre-stripping began in January and is advancing very well. Fleet refurbishments are expected to be completed in the second quarter, with plant refurbishment and mine road construction advancing as planned. Finally, at Lobo, the FS is advancing on schedule and is expected to be completed in the fourth quarter of this year. To wrap up, our priorities continue to be the health and safety of our employees, our social license to operate, and the well-being of our communities and stakeholders, delivering strong, consistent operating results and delivering our projects on time and on budget. And with that, I'll turn the call over to Jeff Gold. Thanks, Paul. We have a track record of more than 10 years of successfully operating in Mauritania, and that success has continued under the previously announced agreement in principle. Despite delays caused by COVID, we have been able to maintain ongoing discussions with the government, and our engagement has been frequent and constructive, particularly in the last couple of months. 
We have held multiple virtual meetings with the government committee charged with finalizing the definitive agreements. In fact, I was on a productive call with our team and the government negotiation committee on Monday of this week. In the last few weeks, there have also been meetings with high-ranking cabinet members, including the Minister of Mines, Economy and Finance, and I can report we are making substantial progress towards finalizing our agreements. We have also had discussions on other matters of mutual interest not covered by our agreement in principle, including health and community initiatives, customs and work permit arrangements, and tax assessments. Such discussions are not unique to Mauritania and occur in other countries of our operations. As part of the finalization process of the definitive agreements, we are taking the time to incorporate the detailed commercial arrangements from our agreement in principle into the definitive agreements that will encompass four mining concessions for the Tassius North and South properties. Since the announcement of our agreement in principle and our ensuing discussions, the parties have continued to work together and maintain business continuity during the pandemic. I'll now turn the call back over to Paul for closing remarks. <clears throat> Thanks, Jeff. I want to reiterate our gratitude to our employees, suppliers, communities, and host governments who have all continued to work together to help us stay safe and productive. Our business remains very well positioned. We have an attractive portfolio of operations coupled with a robust pipeline of pro projects and exploration opportunities. We have a proven track record for operational excellence and project execution across all of our geographies. We continue to generate strong free cash flow and further strengthen our investment grade balance sheet. And we remain focused on our ESG commitments and sector-leading performance. With all these characteristics, we are in a great position to continue driving meaningful value creation over the coming quarters and years. With that, operator, I would now like to open up the call to questions. Okay, thank you. If anybody would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Tyler Langton from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, good morning, Paul and team. Thanks for, thanks for taking my questions. Um, First, just you know, for the upcoming study that I guess you know you did, Mancho and Lobo Marte, can you just talk a little bit about the level of costs you know, that you're using for items like you know fuel, energy, materials, just sort of given you know sort of all the uh, the upper movements we've seen uh, for those materials? Yeah, look, I I think I'll start and maybe hand off to to Paul. I mean, we are starting in early days to see. Uh, early signs of inflation out there in the system, and uh, I, I guess I look at it. There's two sides to the coin. On the on the cost side, we have a few. Um, I guess I call it arrows in our quiver. Um, we're constantly using continuous improvement initiatives to drive efficiency and cost savings to <clears throat> offset inflation. Uh, several years ago, we, mo we, we moved to a global procurement strategy that uh, 
gives us negotiating leverage uh, globally on consumables, so there's negotiation opportunities. Uh, right now, currencies are, are, are somewhat in our favor, and we do uh, carefully hedge around both currencies and, uh, and oil, and we've got uh, oil hedges in place. So lots of things we can do to proactively mitigate and manage on, on the cost side. And then to the extent we do see further inflation continue, we would also expect uh, we'd see some benefit on the revenue side with the gold price. But for project-specific, I think maybe, Paul, you could give some anecdotes of the kinds of things we may see. Yeah, I mean, the, this inflation question has been a big theme both um, in the media, among the investment community, and also internally. We've noted a lot of other mining companies talking about this topic on their calls. In the near term, we do see inflationary pressure on some of our operating consumables, but for this year, uh, we don't see any impact to our, our guidance. It's within the, the buffer range that we have on that, uh, on the guidance. For our projects, we still continue to advance these studies at a $1,200 planning price, uh, but we are seeing signs of inflation, really two areas. One is the macroinflationary environment driven by monetary and fiscal policy, just the inflation of input commodities. And we're starting to see the early signs of uh, more micro inflation where the supply chain to mining is, is, is a limited supply chain. And as more companies put projects into the pipeline, particularly in copper and iron ore, there will be competition for equipment, resources uh, in these projects. So some amount of pressure on CapEx in those projects uh, ought to be expected. Um, but it is still early days on the indicators that we're seeing. No, great. That's, that's very helpful. Thanks. And then just um, one follow-up question, just not on Perica, too. Um, I think last... October, you talked about sort of production exceeding 600,000 ounces, you know, per year in 21 through 23. I know Q1 production was a little bit lower, you know, just on, on grades. But could you talk about should we expect sort of production to kind of increase sequentially throughout the remainder of the year, and is that more grades versus throughput? I know throughput was strong in the quarter, but just just any color there. Yeah, definitely. We expect a much better Q2. I mean, it was Q1 was on plan. We were mining in a part of the pit that had the lower grade, so it was as expected. And we see Q2 and Q3 strong quarters, uh, more in the 150 range. And yes, to answer your question, the, our comments previously on Paric 2 in the 600 range remain. Great. Thanks so much. And your next question will come from Anita Sony from CIBC World Markets. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, so this is a question for Paul Tamori um, uh, with respect to the Round Mountain Pit Wall, if you can imagine I'm going to ask. Um, can you just uh, give me an idea, I mean, a little bit more color. I mean, this is Round Mountain's had a pit wall uh, movement, I think it was three years ago as well, and you mentioned that you've got waste at the top of the um, pit wall. So um, is that, you know, you're moving that. Do you think that'll be sufficient to, to mitigate the issue that you have there? Uh, is there fracturing? Is there, uh, you mentioned, I think, dewatering as well. Um, so, you know, how serious is this and will it impact um, next year's production guidance at 2.7 plus or minus 5%? So, Anita, I'll probably give a, a, a really long answer here, anticipating that there are quite a few questions on around Mountain. And uh, around Mountain, if I were in your shoes, it's actually a very difficult asset to model because there are very many processing flow streams, and I'll try to provide some context on that. 
But I'll, I'll lead with um, our production guidance for this year and the next two years. The range of impact we expect at Round Mountain is within that plus minus 5% range. So I, I want to make that clear that our guidance holds for the year and for the three-year uh, time frame. Uh, Round Mountain in context, it's a prolific mineralized system. It's produced well over 17 million ounces in the several decades that it's operated. And our current, our current aspirational goal is to get that to 20 million. We see a forward pipeline that will add significant production. The other thing that characterizes Round Mountain is pretty significant historical positive reconciliation. And certainly in the first couple of decades at Round Mountain, the grades, the actual grades were much higher than the model grades. And so we have situations where a lot of our heaps contain amounts of gold that are well in excess of previous estimates. And uh, I have to say truthfully, we don't even know how much gold remains in those heaps. So since we approved the Phase W study, we've actually added quite a lot of production into Round Mountain's profile that often goes unheralded. So for example, this year and next year, about a quarter of our production at Round Mountain actually comes from the heaps, uh, really legacy ounces. In some cases, we're leaching a third and fourth time. Um, we've also added, since the Phase W study, other mining areas. There's a part of the main pit called North Fairview, which had previously experienced geotechnical issues. We've gone back in there and we're mining it. We've got a satellite pit called Gold Hill, where we've approved a couple extra pushbacks. So the reason I'm going into all this detail is to show that Round Mountain isn't just phase W. There's quite a lot of sources of ore um, that we rely upon. For example, we also have mill stockpiles. Another example of uh, outperformance over the last four or five years around is in the, in the initial concept of phase W, we had to move a waste dump similar to what we're having to do now. And that waste dump was, was as it turns out, mineralized. And so those are ounces that were, in, a, in effect, bonus. We ended up putting them on the, on the heaps. So um, an important point of contact, that round has yielded since the phase W approval, bonus ounces from these different sources of ore and uh, opportunity really arising from historical grades and even in situ grades being better than even what we're currently modeling. Now, to your specific question on the geotech issues, we have a clay unit at depth at Round Mountain, which was, which we know about. It was uh, considered in the Phase W study, but in hindsight, our assumptions didn't take into account just how significant the presence of that clay layer was. So what we're doing right now as a result of the early detection of movement is we are going to unload the, the rim of the pit, and there's a waste dump up there, um, and there's going to be 20, 30 million tons of waste dump that need to be moved there. And in addition to that, we are going to have to make the pit wall in that area on the north portion of the pit uh, more shallow. We don't quite know exactly where that will land uh, because we're carrying out, uh, as you'd expect, we need a, a very extensive dewatering program over and above what was contemplated in the Phase W study. And we're putting in a number of geotech holes. We won't have the results of that, and we'll have a better idea of the uh, uh, the water drawdown performance by September, which is why it'll take us several months to work through uh, the, putting more fine detail on the, the impact here. So what we're looking at, what we do know is that the wall angle will have to become shallower, and as a result of the fleet being tied up in incremental mining activity for this remediation, we are deferring the access to the higher grade portion of the phase W uh, ore body but not all production in phase W, just a higher grade portion by two years. 
So in the phase W study, we saw ourselves ramping up to the 4 to 450 ounce range in 23 and 24. Those high production years are now deferred to 25, 26. We know that based on a conservative first guess at where the slopes may land. But because of the other sources of ore that I've described, we still expect to maintain production in the 250 to the high 200s range over the next several years at round while we wait for the, the higher grade portion phase W. The silver lining here is that the combination of these bonus ounces in the near term and this pit wall layback actually extends mine life at Round Mountain at a substantial production level by two years. And what's made that possible is the, the sum total of these, what I would call bonus ounces, uh, in, in the near term. In our reoptimization, this will be my final point, is we were going to re release the results of the phase S study now, but obviously the fleet will now be tied up doing other things. So we are going to defer the release of the phase S study for about a year and pull it into a holistic reoptimization of the entire pit. We have about a million ounces there at phase S. And in addition to that, we have other opportunities at Ramad. So for example, we recently approved uh, an expansion to the flotation plant there, which will add a couple points of recovery to all gold that goes through the mill at Round Mountain. So we intend to complete the geotech program, complete the dewatering, do the phase S optimization, construct the flotation plant, pull in potential incremental pushbacks at, at uh, Gold Hill, and come to the market with a comprehensive view on Round Mountain a year from now. So I, I, I've deliberately been more detailed in anticipation of further questions on Round Mountain, and Anita, I hope that answers your question. Yes, but I, I do have one or two more follow-ups. So uh, the actual, um, I happen to have our um, mine tour booklet from 2016 when we visited uh, Balls and Round uh, after you guys bought that. So um, I'm looking at the, um, the pit wall slope. Was it, as I can tell, it looked like it was around, supposed to be around 45-degree angle. Is that correct overall? That's right. And that's okay. right. And our current view, so what we base our comments, say, on meeting production guidance for the next three years are based on softening that slope to 30 degrees. 30 is pretty shallow. Eh? It is pretty shallow, which is why we we liked that it, uh, we think that there's opportunity to claw some of this back. So what we've done here is, because we don't have the result of the geotech drilling, we're laying this slope quite far back, and depending on the outcome of that program, we may end up steepening them back from 30, but I don't know yet where that will land. And the last question would be um, the higher grade portion of the ore, as I recall, or as I've been modeling, has been somewhat in the range of um, 7.6 to 8 gram per ton material that would have gone through the mill. And then some of it was like 0.6 going through the heap leaches, I think it was. But um, just in general, was that, was that what we were thinking about when we uh, think about the higher grade portion of the phase W? Yeah, the IR team will get back to you, but that is the, the mill portion is definitely mm -hmm. high grade. It's maybe not as high as you're saying, but certainly the average grades are in line with what you're implying. Um, we're, we've got a reserve grade of 0.7, yeah. but the IR team will get back to you on a breakdown, but you're not far off the mark. Okay. Uh, the, All right, thanks. I'll leave it the there. The mill there. grades are lower. Okay. I'll, I'll leave it there and let other people ask questions. Thanks. Okay. And your next question will come from Terry McCrory from Canaccord Genuity, your line is open. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, maybe just to help us model out the quarters, I know we're expecting sequential improvements for the year, but can you give us sort of an H2, H1 split? 
in terms of production? Yeah, well, why don't I actually take you through each site? It's probably easier to do that way. We, we are ramping up to higher production in the second quarter. Uh, Fort Knox, you saw it had higher costs in this quarter. It is ramping up. We were at around the mid-50s, and we expect to rank up, ramp up to high 60s and 70s uh, in the subsequent quarter. So basically, Fort Knox has an increase in profile from the 55 we just put out in the first quarter up into the high 70s uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, Parag 2, as I indicated, the 126 in the quarter, moving more up to the 150 range for the next couple and then dropping off in the fourth quarter. I think that's an important one. And around Mountain, our initial view is we're seeing a 50 to 70,000 ounce impact this year as a result of this uh, 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 geotech issue. But we still expect around to be in the 50 to 60 range uh, per quarter. Probably the biggest mover is actually Tazius. As you know, we're, we're mining in stockpiles right now, or we're processing stockpiles right now. And the stripping campaign for the next West Branch principal phase is proceeding well, and we expect to get into high grades there in the fourth quarter. So Tazis will have the biggest upswing in uh, the last quarter. And then uh, Coupel, uh, Chirano are, are steady um, for the balance of the year. So Fort Knox, Tazius, Peric 2, uh, going to see increases, and roughly the rest of the portfolio is uh, is about flat. I hope that gives some context. Russia's flat as well. Uh, that's that's helpful. Maybe just on Tassia, sort of what sort of grade level should we be assuming for Q4? Um, we're in about 1.8, 1.9 now. We'll be well over two in Q4. Uh, in some cases, depending on the day, pushing up towards three. Okay, great. And then maybe just on Perica too, you know, 170,000 tons per day in the quarter, pretty big jump. Is that just due to where you are in the pit and or hardness, or is something? Have you guys been doing something else to get there? It's just a really solid operating performance. Perica two has become a truly world-class asset in all regards. We have a phenomenal team down there. We have great technical understanding. It's a huge mill. I, I don't know if you've been there, but huge complex mill. I think still the largest throughput gold mill on earth. And it takes years to get a handle on something that big. And the team has really uh, has gotten to know it really well, and they're just continuously improving. Now we will we will have setbacks here and there. You'll you may have a downtime events, but the first quarter was just a confluence of really really solid operating performance and no unplanned downtime. Maybe just one last one I can on Fort Knox. I know you, you said in the appendix there's some detail on the Gill uh, expansion there, but what does Fort Knox, Fort Knox look like in 2022 as, as a whole? Can you give some guidance on that versus 2020? Or sorry, 2021? Yeah, we're expecting uh, this year will be in the 270 range, and it'll be slightly lower. Uh, no, it'll be slightly higher next year uh, going forward as Gill comes into the plan. Uh, we'll be putting these gill high-grade ounces, and uh, Fort Knox is looking, uh, we're now looking at actually at Kinross, Alaska. We've got the main Fort Knox pit. We're pulling in these gill satellites, and of course, as you know, Mancho will be trucking high-grade to Fort Knox. So we're starting to look at Fort Knox from a, a, an Alaska perspective, and it's going to have a good production profile as we get gill into the plan and as we get uh, Mancho into the plan. The other thing that we can do at Fort Knox uh, taking advantage of high gold prices, we can make almost game time decisions on cutover grade. So 
good gold day, we send material preferentially to the mill and make more money on it. So it's sort of a riskless way to take advantage of higher gold prices. So we've got that benefit at, at Fort Knox as well. But the, in general, a, a trending upward uh, production plan to uh, over 300 next year. Great, that's it for me. Thanks, Thanks everyone. And your next question will come from Mike Parkin from National Bank. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for the detail on Round Mountain. That's been very helpful. Uh, just really one question left. Uh, on you didn't mention the, the exploration programs underway. Uh, when could we expect the initial results, assuming you're, you're hitting stuff? Uh, I know uh, from past discussions, I believe you're focusing on kind of step-out drilling from the, the main pit resource shell. Is that still the plan, and you know, could we possibly see some results with Q2 earnings? So we, we are, you've described the program basically perfectly. Um, we typically put out our results at year end, and we'll have a, a, a more modest update with Q2. We typically do that for expiration. Great. That's it for me, guys. Thanks very much. And your next question will come from Tanya. Jack Esconic from Scotiabank, your line is open. Uh, great. Uh, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, Paul T., I just wanted to come back to um, Round Mountain, if I could. Uh, appreciate the color on all of the, uh, the ore sources that you can, um, you know, get uh, more uh, of production and, and, and sort of get that production profile to stay as you mentioned, but maybe just um, we didn't touch on the additional costs. I mean, it looks like there's going to be more stripping that needs to be done, that waste dump that needs to be moved, um, 20, 30 million tons. And can you just give us some color on, you know, what sort of additional costs we're going to have to incur just in the short term? Yes, and that's the short-term impact is we we have to move this waste dump. We don't exactly know just how far back we have to cut it. That's the question uh, Anita was asking on the slopes. But we're looking at 20, 30 million tons in the waste dump, and at least that amount again in the pit wall. So there is going to be a cost impact. We can move that waste dump for, call it 70, 80 cents a ton. And uh, as you get deeper into the, uh, the pit wall layback, uh, it will obviously uh, go up in cost. When we say, when Paul commented earlier on the NPV neutral comment, we, we are looking for ways to offset the NPV impact of those additional stripping dollars through things like the flotation expansion uh, that I talked about at the plant and uh, potentially incremental pushbacks at Gold Hill. But Andrea will talk about some of the accounting implications. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the points that um, is worth making is, you know, it's the same amount of mining activity that we were planning to do, um, do this year, um, just without, you know, without the ounces coming in in production and revenue. Um, so from an accounting perspective, the costs are more uh, closer to probably $2 a ton in terms of what we're moving. Okay. So so definitely, definitely a cost impact from a life of mine point of view in the, in the additional stripping and the waste dump movement. But as I said, we expect to offset that with other opportunities. Okay. So, so if, if I was to just take that 20 to 30 million tons and, and, the, and times two for the layback to and, and, and multiply it by the, the cost of movement and, and put it over the next two years, that would be a reasonable assumption? That is pretty reasonable, yes. Okay, perfect. And, and Paul, maybe just to, to follow through um, on, I just wanted to touch on PASIUS and inflation in general and then 
um, Paul Rowlandson on, 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 you know, dividend and share buyback. So just on, on Tazius, if I could, just um, I saw that you put the thickeners in. Um, you, everything looks like you're on, on, on track to get to that 21. Anything else critical that you need to do to get to 21,000 tons a day by year end, except for the pre-stripping or the stripping? It's the, it's the final tie-ins on the thickener. So thickener construction is complete, but we have to tie it in. So we. We, we are going to have a very busy fourth quarter and first quarter next year doing all the mechanical, electrical, flow sheet tie-ins. Um, but as you see from the pictures, we've actually had a really good run of construction over the last seven, eight weeks. Um, I, I don't want to say we're out of the woods yet, but we're certainly heading to the finish line in pretty uh, strong fashion. And it'll be right at the wire at the end of this year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all, the, all the key elements are well well in place. It's just now tie-ins tie and commissioning. Okay. And then just on inflation, and I appreciate that you, you gave us some clarity on, on where you're seeing uh, some, of, uh, some of those inflationary pressures. Just wanted to, to ask um, one area, which is labor, which is a big component of, of um, the cost structure. You didn't mention anything there. Are we seeing any inflation in, in labor? Um, it's a good question, and it, it starts to tie into uh, macro factors. So, for example, Brazil. We, uh, we do a refresh on the, the labor agreement there, and this year we saw, call it a 5% increase in, in labor there, which is, uh, I always like to compare things to, say, 12, 13 years ago. And uh, back then, and Pericotu is a really good example because it's really, it can get whipsawed by the combination of labor rates FX rates, gold price, uh, uh, local costs. The equation in Brazil is still very positive for us. In other words, weakness in the real, which is a byproduct of everything else going on from a macro point of view, uh, continues to be a tailwind. So we are seeing labor cost inflation in Brazil, but principally driven by local input cost inflation. But the equation is still quite net positive. I suppose if we were to really wrap our heads around it and start thinking about it. Could this be a repeat of what we saw 12, 13 years ago? Tough to say. Um, there are some early indications of that. And uh, depending on where things go in local economies, now, of course, everything is COVID impacted right now and the recovery is there. It's a very complex equation. But just to answer your question, we are seeing some um, labor cost increases, particularly in places like Russia, Brazil, and to a lesser extent in Chile. But those numbers are still tame, but slightly higher than the, the normal run-of-the-mill yearly increases we've been seeing for the last decade. So yes, there are early indicators of an inflationary environment in the labor market. Okay. Thank you. And then maybe, you know, just for, for Paul, um, just um, after you've paid your debt in, in June and, and, you know, we're ramping up at um, Tazius and we're going to start generating a lot of free cash flow. Can you talk about, um, you know, this allocation of this free cash flow? How do you see dividends and or, and or share buyback? Sure, Tanya, thanks. Yeah, you're right. I mean, whilst cash flow is, is, is good this year, we do have some non-recurring cash items, whether it's the final installment on Chobacan, and obviously we're redeeming the note. Um, and as is our style, we're we're sort of a, you know, watching the gold price, very carefully watching our balance sheet, and uh, 
and, and looking through the windshield to the balance of the year and next year. And, and we agree that uh, not so much this year uh, in terms of those non-recurring cash payments, but certainly as we go into next year, there's going to and the year after, we predict you know fairly dramatic growth in well in both production and cash flow. So yes, we are hearing it from investors and we are thinking about it. Um, I, I I think we want to kind of just get to the second quarter here, get the note out of the way, uh, see where we've gone on the go price and come out with more of a a sort of a plan at that point. Um, I would say anecdotally, um, as we go through our investor uh, meetings, um, the, the the pendulum has swung a little bit more to, I would say, a desire for buyback on top of the, the dividend. Um, and uh, that's been a theme through all of our IR, I would say, this year. Um, so we're taking that on board. Uh, we see our dividend as a baseline forever, uh, sustainable dividend, uh, sustainable at lower gold prices. Um, and we're thinking but haven't finalized that the right sort of enhancement, the layering on top of that dividend would be uh, would potentially be buybacks. But we want to just give it another quarter to uh, see how the macro all shakes out this year. Okay, so, so from that I take that you're leaning more towards the, uh, the buyback versus enhancing the dividend at this point. I would say that's, uh, again, it's, it's not a scientific poll, but I think given we're, we're listening to our investors, um, that I think would work and, and, and be well received. So we are, yes, leaning a bit more to the uh, buyback. Okay, thank you. And you should. You stop trading at a discount to bullion, so you should buy it back. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel. And your next question will come from Jackie Przbolowski from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thanks very much. Sorry, I want to go back to Round Mountain just for a minute. Uh, you, you noted that you've got a mine optimization program uh, that you're going to be looking at this uh, on a more bigger picture, I guess, and re reviewing the opportunities for phase S. And I just had a question about that. I mean, back in October when you did the investor update, you talked about phase S and a potential for a phase X, which uh, sounded like it was maybe not economic at the time. You had more study and more drilling to do for that phase X. Is this uh, a two-year two or, or one-and-a-half-year uh, evaluation uh, going to contemplate uh, that phase X as well? And what do you need to see on that to get more uh, optimistic on that on that bigger uh, phase X project? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jackie, for uh, bringing that up. So in this optimization that we're going to put out, phase X will be mentioned conceptually, but it won't be part of the formal life of mine plan. We continue to explore and drill at phase X. Um, there are high grades of depth. If anything, this current geotechnical issue in phase W, just a quick reminder, phase X would have been the next pushback in phase W. When we built the phase W project, we made accommodation for a pit wall pushback that could accommodate phase X. I'm just going to guess here, but I think that with this geotechnical issue, phase X is probably not going to be an open pit at this stage. And what we're looking at in our conceptual studies is an underground there. 
So drilling is ongoing. We're doing exploration down there. We know there are high grades down there. And if we like what we see, we would consider putting in an exploration decline like we are at Curlew uh, in Washington State to do more detailed high-grade exploration. So we are ramping up on our uh, underground capability for that potential. But the first step is surface drilling. And then if we like what we see in terms of grade, we will consider putting in a, a decline. But generally, we're seeing grades increase. As, as depth, depth, yes. Yeah. And we see that feeder source uh, coming from depth in the west. Yeah, there's a lot of gold down there, um, but it's under a lot of cover. And uh, the question is, could you get underground mining shapes that hold together at a given cutoff to make them economic at, uh, at 1,200 or 1,400? So in, in this optimization that we're doing, just to, to sum it up, we will have a perspective on phase X, but it won't be part of the formal life of mine plan. And, and maybe just on that, on the point about um, going underground, is the is the underlying issue that's causing the pit wall instability? Is that something that you would need to be concerned about as you go underground, or are you you probably able to manage an underground no. around those issues? No. The, the real issue is a clay layer known as the Stebbins Hill Formation, and that is located within the strata of the pit. The underground would be below that. So it's not, it's not that we're dealing with highly fractured rock. We're dealing with a very greasy clay surface in, the, uh, in that north wall. Okay, that's, that's really helpful. Thank you very much. Again, if anybody would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Greg Barnes from TD Securities. Your line is open. Yeah, thank you. Baltimore, I'm going to flood a really dead horse here, but on, on round round. <laughs> I expected it. I expected it. Close to a clean getaway. Jeez. That's what I did while, practicing, while shaving this morning. I practiced all the questions you guys would send at me on round round. Flog away. From that net, after everything I'm hearing, is is you expect an improved mine plan, life of mine at Round Mountain, with higher production and longer life coming out of all this. If you include the flotation expansion that I've been talking about, the phase S expansion, and continued outperformance on the heaps, yes, definitely. Uh, that is what we hope to be able to deliver a year from now. Um, and like I said, the real silver lining here is this deferral of phase W actually pushes substantial production at Ram Mountain out a further two years, and we've been able to, at least in part, backfill the near term with the myriad of these other opportunities I've talked about. But yes, we expect to come out with an optimized plan that you guys will like. We have a lot of work to do, and that's why it's a year from now, but uh, we certainly have high hopes for Ram Mountain and ultimately pushing the 17 million ounces that have been recovered there, year, uh, the project to date, up, upwards or 20 million. So we, we have this 20 million ounce target for Round Mountain. Okay. On the flotation expansion, I'm not sure I was aware of that. Maybe I missed it. But well, this is the first you're hearing of it. Yeah, no, <laughs> this is the first we're talking about it. So the, the, the mill, as you know, mills the, the high-grade sulfides, and we just approved an expansion of the flotation to increase uh, recoveries there. It's a modest project, uh, but it, it, it's an example of a good little continuous improvement project where we can deploy a little bit of capital uh, to increase recovery on all of the life of mine uh, mill material to come. Yeah, I mean, I would just... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, as, as Paul and I were talking earlier, um, I mean, what, what you're seeing here is with this um, with this situation at Bald, it, it's, it's caused us to kind of rotate the, the flashlight a bit to a bunch of things we've been working on that we refer to all the time. We, we constantly talk about CI initiatives at all of our operations. And at, I, again, use the word again, the silver lining here is we, we just kind of opened up the kimono a little bit so that you guys know specifically there's a bunch of stuff here that we would be working on anyway, as we do at many other of our sites. Um, and uh, there's lots of stuff here to, to, uh, to work on, and we're feeling pretty confident. We call it turning lemons into lemonade here. We've, uh, we've had a setback, but we can dial back, and we see lots of opportunities, and we think we can come through um, with, a, with an improved uh, situation. And your next question will come from Anita Sony from CIBC World Markets. Your line is open. Hi, Paul. Um, back to that horse again. Um, that clay layer. Can you tell me how thick it is and at, and if it's below the bottom of the pit? Is that what is that what you're saying? It's um, it's near the bottom of the phase W pushback. A little bit higher, though. So basically, the the ultimate pit bottom gets below the clay layer. So once you're through the clay layer, um, you're back into pretty competent ground. Uh, I mean, you you'll remember from the the the, the tour yep. that north wall of the pit where phase W is is principally mm -hmm. alluvium. It's highly competent alluvium yep. sitting on top of uh, a couple other strata strata below, under which lies the Stebbins Hill clay formation. It's, I can't tell you exactly how thick it is, but it's not very thick. It's, it's basically a clay layer that retains water and uh, reduces the effect of stresses down there and it, it causes that instability. So we are, what we're doing right now is we're putting in quite a lot of uh, incremental dewatering capacity, both right down uh, in, in the lower part of the pit, more proximal to the clay layer but also uh, broader, more regional level uh, dewatering wells. And we're, we're putting in a bunch more geotech holes to really better understand this Stebbins Hill layer. Okay, thank you. This brings us to the end of our Q&A session for today. I turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. Great, thank you, operator, and thanks everyone for joining us today. Um, uh, we look forward to catching up in the coming weeks and months. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This will conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.